Thank you, Travis. I am so honored to be here today of all days. Mother's Day is a day to be celebrated every year, but I feel like it's most especially a day to be celebrated in the middle of a pandemic. Who knew what we were entering into, like Travis said when I was asked to do this a few months ago, but God did. I mean, I may not have known, but God knew that I would be standing here before you live in giving this sermon. So today I wanna honor all of you mothers. This virus has brought out the best and the worst in people. In fact, it actually brought out the worst in my vanity. I didn't wanna come before you with these um, silver streaks that were throughout my hair. Uh, we call them silver in my household because my mother says that silver sounds so much fancier than gray, and I believe that to be true. So the silver streaks that were coming out, I thought, wow, I'm gonna get up on stage because of shelter in place, I'm gonna have this silver in my hair, and my daughter, who's a teenager with an invincible spirit, says, mom, don't worry, I've got this. She was like, I've seen one of these box kits that you can buy, and you can put that dye in at home, and I think it's supposed to work really well. Well, you can understand I might have a little bit of panic welling up inside of me at the thought of this going terribly, disastrously bad and then me getting on stage and speaking to you. But my daughter had it all figured out because she said, Mom, it's going to be okay. Because if it turns out great, it's a victory. But if it turns out terrible, you'll have a great story to tell everybody on Mother's Day. So now I have a great story to tell you on Mother's Day, and my daughter has a potential future as a beautician if she so chooses. I was brought up with a great, fantastic group of mothers. And I say group of mothers because I call these my God-given mothers. I had a wonderful mother. Here's a picture that's gonna come up for you. This is my mother with her three daughters. My brother, John Paul, was left out of the picture. Sorry, John Paul. And by the way, I just wanna make a note to say the 1980s did wonders to our hairstyles and our clothing styles. But this was my mother who was wonderful and she taught me the greatest gift of all and gave me this gift to love Jesus with my full heart. I was also given so many other mothers in my life. My grandmothers poured into me and walked side by side. They were wonderful and strong leaders. I was given a wonderful group of church mothers growing up who poured into me and my siblings. And when I moved to San Antonio, I was given even more mothers to take care of me while my family was out. Mothers like Sharon Wilson. And then I was given a godmother named Gail who poured again into me and my siblings' lives. And I call these unconventional mothers my God-given mothers because I know many of you out there are like that today. You don't have to birth a child biologically to call them a mother. You're the teachers of the world. You're the neighbors that pour into your neighbor's children. You're the aunts. You are to be honored today just as much. And I thank you for that. So in order to prepare for a speech, how do you prepare for a speech in the middle of a pandemic? Well, I decided to take a very researched and scientific poll. And by research and scientific, I mean I polled my Facebook users. And by polling my Facebook users, I asked them a question. What makes parenting more difficult than usual during this pandemic? Well, within the first few minutes, I had dozens and dozens of responses, and then well over 100 responses. And so I decided that I'm going to share all 100 plus responses with you today, so I hope you've got a lot of time on your hands. Okay, I'm not going to share 100 plus. You wouldn't like me by the end of that. But I am going to pare them down. And one of the first responses was school. I can hear the groans out there already. Yes, online school. For the first time in our human history, teachers have had to perform magic, and they have had to take all of the schooling from an 
sit-down public school platform and in a few days to a week, somehow get that platform online in our living rooms. I don't know how they did it, but all I have to say is at the end of Teachers Appreciation Week, God bless you teachers, we love you all. And we can't wait to get our kids back in the classroom with you. I love my kids, but I can't wait to hand them back over to you. So thank you teachers all over. My friend Sarah said it best when she sent this meme to me, beautiful, fantastic meme that says, you can either have a nice day or you can, have your, or you can help your child with their math homework. You can't have both, Coronalations 3.30. I can hear all the mothers out there saying amen to that statement. I learned a long time ago, actually it was probably about seven years ago, not to help my children with their homework. And it came in the form of a phone call from my son Nicholas's fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Shipman. I loved Mrs. Shipman, we had a good relationship and she picked up the phone and called me and said, Kristen, can we have a talk? Now, usually when a teacher calls you and says, can we have a talk, it's not necessarily a good thing. This was not necessarily a good call. And she said, Kristen, look, I'm looking at Nicholas's papers and she said, and I can see where he had circled answers right here. And then he erased those answers. And then he recircled the answers on this side. She goes, well, he originally had the correct answers. And then when you helped him with his homework, he erased the correct answers and he ended up putting the wrong answers. So I'm politely asking you to please stop helping him with his homework thereby solidifying the fact that indeed I am not smarter than a fifth grader, I'm not even smarter than a fourth grader. And yet now I'm somehow supposed to help all three of my kids from middle school to high school with their homework, clearly not equipped. But the answers weren't all about school. There was of course the cooking 889 quarantine meals of breakfast, lunch, supper, and everything in between. And then there were the more serious answers. One of my friends who said, I've got five children, Kristen, and they range from preschool all the way up to high school. They have different needs, and I'm trying to fulfill all of their needs while I have no me time, and I'm constantly on. And then I had a friend who said, try sharing custody in the middle of quarantine. Different households, different rules. One of my other friends said, I'm an essential worker. I have to go out to my job. And yet at the same time, while I have to go out to my job, I covet these parents who get to stay in their house with their kids. I wish I had that time. And to me, one of the more tragic, I'm a medical worker. And every time I come home, I'm fearful that I am going to contract a deadly virus to my child. But the overall feeling I got from this poll was the fact that moms all across America didn't feel good enough. They didn't feel like they were good enough teachers. They didn't feel like they were good enough cooks. They didn't feel like they were being good enough spouses. They didn't feel like they were being good enough activity and social directors. They just simply didn't feel enough. So to you out here who don't feel enough, I'm gonna address the fact that not only are you good enough, you are outstandingly remarkable. Not a single one of us had a handbook that said, this is what's gonna happen in 2020. This is what's gonna happen when you have a pandemic hit and you have to change everything in an about face way and completely rearrange your normal. And yet you're doing such an amazing job that books one day will be written about this. Your God sees you and you're not meant to be perfect because none of us can be perfect. 
And I want to make sure that you know you deserve rock star credit for everything you're doing as a mother right now, especially during this pandemic. I honor you today. I also would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge the fact that Mother's Day actually brings forth a loss in a lot of people. Those of you who have lost your mothers and don't have your mothers here to celebrate, that's a deep feeling of loss. Those of you who have lost children, God forbid. Those of you who have had multiple miscarriages and you'll never enjoy those children on this earth with you. And there are some of you that struggle with infertility that you've been pleading with God and yet you're still infertile and you feel such a loss on this day. To you, I wanna say that I see you and I'm so sorry. Your God sees you more importantly though. Your God loves you. And this world is thankfully not our home. My family is no stranger to loss. 10 years ago, actually this month exactly, we entered into what I like to call our new normal. Our new normal would not look normal at all to any other household. And I wanna share with you a video of a testimony. My child talked a little bit about this. I've spent almost a, over a thousand days in the hospital. I've been told 13 times that I most likely would not make it through the night. I have over 13 different diseases. I have had 75 to 85 different surgeries and procedures. And I have countless scars all over my body, but no one can see it because I look so normal on the outside. My name is Rebecca Taylor. Hear my story. Before I was seven, my life was perfect. I had two amazing parents and two younger brothers, and we just had the perfect American dream life. We had um, all had pretty much perfect health. My mom was pregnant with my baby sister. We were just in the perfect situation, living the dream. And when I was seven, one night I had terrible pain. I couldn't eat anything, I couldn't sleep, and I could barely breathe with the pain. And my grandmother was with me and she took me to the ER with my mom and um, they told me that I had pancreatitis at the hospital and they also told me that they didn't have any way to treat me and most of them told us it was impossible for a girl who's seven years old to get what they called the old man's disease so they shipped me off as fast as they could to a hospital in Houston where I stayed for another few months by more doctors who didn't know what to do. When I think of the word childhood, I mainly think of a hospital room. The nurses became like my family. The doctors became like my second fathers, and no one knew what to do with me. On an average day, I take around 35 different pills just to keep me alive. I'm missing five organs since the transplant, including my pancreas, which is considered a vital organ. I, whenever I wake up in the morning, I'm so weak I can barely sit up, but I force myself to get up and I walk, and I don't fight, but I walk. People keep telling me to keep fighting, but it's much easier if you just walk because you can take it one step at a time. All those warnings that you see at the hospitals that are tell pregnant women to stay away and my mom was pregnant with Annabelle at the time that I was in the hospital. And I'm sorry, I guess for years, 
she passed away right after her birth from an infection. And I guess for years I always felt guilty that it was my fault. Because my mom had to choose between her two daughters. And which was she gonna stay with the one who was dying or the one who was supposed to live? And I'm standing here today and she's not. I loved her more than words could say, even though I never got to see her. My mom went to the hospital and she never came back. Each day I still, every night I can't go to sleep until I put on a necklace with her initials. And I just know that one day I'm gonna meet her again and I'm just gonna run and give her the biggest hug. I realize now that there's nothing I could have done, but I still miss her every day. If there's a God out there who can, who died on a cross to save a broken body like mine, then that's the God that I want to follow. When I was too weak to stand, I leaned on him. When I was too weak to walk, he carried me. I couldn't do any of this without him. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for him. The abrupt change that happened in our life 10 years ago didn't just happen in the way that Rebecca described. There was even more. We had a staggering set of losses that came one upon another. We lost Annabelle. We lost Rebecca's health. We lost five of her organs. I lost my ability to mother my boys while we were in the hospital for well over a thousand days. We flew to Minnesota, packed for three days, and ended up staying half a year with negative 30 degree weather in the middle of their winter, completely unexpected. We've lived in eight different hospitals across the United States, trying to get answers and never really finding out exactly what was wrong with our daughter in her body and an immunologic disorder that went from organ to organ to organ to attack, including what it's attacking today. My husband lost his job in the middle of this, which led to the loss of our financial stability with a deep pile of medical bills in this abyss that never stopped coming and coming. And we all lost our sanity more than once in the last 10 years. Yet through everything that I just explained to you and all of the suffering that we ended up enduring, I discovered something in that process. I discovered that I gained a relationship with my Lord that far surpassed anything in my imagination I could have ever anticipated. And that started with a concept that I like to call unexpected miracles. Unexpected miracles was a concept that I had to come up with because guess what? I had this American dream for my family. I had this American dream for my family of what my family was gonna look like. And I can assure you my dream of what I thought my family was gonna look like was not looking at all like the reality. I thought my family was going to be five healthy children and we were gonna live in a dream house and we were gonna have financial security the Dave Ramsey style. And all of that was gonna be great, pretty little package because I loved God and God was gonna be there and he was gonna look at the desires of my heart and this is how my life was gonna go. There's a great version in Proverbs of ni Proverbs 19:21 that said many are the plans 
in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. So I had lots of plans in my heart, lots of plans. And yet it was the Lord's purpose that kept prevailing and my plans didn't match the Lord's purpose. So eventually I had to come to a choice, my line in the sand of saying, okay, God, clearly what I am wishing and hoping and praying for is not happening and your purpose is over here. I have to be able to give up control and expectations of what I think my life is gonna look like and align that with what is actually happening, which is your purpose. Now, I'm not saying this concept came easily, but it took a perspective shift. And I had to make a physical manifestation of what I was gonna do in my mind to make that click. Because this is what would usually happen. When I walked into the hospital for the 55th time with my daughter on a stretcher in front of me in crying, screaming pain, my first reaction, which was my earthly reaction, is like, are you kidding me, God? Are we really going through this again? Are we doing this one more time? Can you not find a way to stop this suffering? And although what I was saying seems to be justified, I realized in those moments what I was thinking about was what I didn't want. And so I had to reverse that action in my mind and I had to cross the threshold with a different mindset. And when I crossed the threshold with a different mindset, this is what I said instead. I said, okay, God, you know I don't want to be here. You know I don't want my child in pain. This is the last place I want to be. But if we are here, then you have to have a purpose in this pain. Will you please show me your hand? And when I made that shift and I prayed that prayer, my Lord showed me his hand every single time. So I decided to have a physical manifestation of it by writing it down. And every morning I would wake up and say, okay, God, I'm praying for this miracle to happen, but I know you're working around me. So can you show me one unexpected miracle a day? Just one. And at the end of that day, I would write about it and I would post those miracles. And they would go out to thousands and now hundreds of thousands of people around the world. And at first it was a little difficult to get into this pattern because I was so wallowing in my grief. But then I realized the more I sought those unexpected miracles, the more they came and piled upon me in droves. And I found that God was not just doing one thing a day. He was doing dozens and dozens and dozens of things a day to sustain us. Because guess what I learned? God doesn't leave us in our suffering. On the contrary, God is with us and he puts his presence upon us. And he is pouring himself into us because he wants us to know that we can be used even in our worst, and that he has not left us behind. And that concept came about by me writing those unexpected miracles. I'm gonna give you an example. I wanted five children. You heard me say that. And even after Annabelle, we suffered miscarriages. And I realized that miracle was not happening that I had been praying for. My American dream of that didn't happen. But I started noticing a trend every time we went into the hospital for long periods of time that without fail, inevitably, we would be in a room right next to a child in a hospital that had no family, either through abandonment, through abuse, through a child waiting to be picked up for foster care. These children were left alone in their suffering. They didn't have a mom like Rebecca and a dad like Rebecca and brothers like Rebecca to stand by their sides. And I noticed this trend happened over and over and over far, far too often to be coincidental. These children became what I affectionately called my hospital children. And these hospital children became a 
part of our family. They spent Christmases with us. They called me their mom. They called Rebecca their sister. We got to love them in their greatest pain when they were alone. And God showed me over and over and over, I know, Kristen, you didn't get what you had dreamed of here, but I'm giving you something even better. I'm giving you an ability to parent and love these children who needed someone desperately at this particular time. And guess what? If I had been home and I had been healthy with my family, I would have never been put in that position to love on these children that then became children of my heart whom I loved dearly. That was an unexpected miracle in the hospital. An unexpected miracle that's happening right now in COVID. Yes, we're praying for COVID and this virus to be eradicated. It has wreaked havoc and it has caused such suffering. One of our sweet pancreas children just died this week and we mourn for what this is doing to so many families. And yet I am still realizing that even in the middle of this pandemic, God is working his unexpected miracles. One of which came flying to me in the face of uninterrupted time, all five of us under one roof, most especially with my boys. I've lost so much time with them. I've lost 30% of Alexander's life by living in a hospital. And God has shown me in this over and over that he has gifted me this time that I had prayed for and craved. And he's saying, I am giving you this time right now as a gift, an unexpected miracle. And the verse from Joel, it's Joel 2.25, kept rolling through my mind over and over and over, which is, I will restore to you, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God. God is restoring to me the time that was taken away in the hospital, and he is giving that to me in droves during this COVID, which is such an unexpected miracle. But the unexpected miracles didn't just stop with me. They're happening all around, and I discovered they were actually happening in the Bible. Shocking how God does that, right? So one of the stories I wanted to give you today is a perfect story, I think, from Mother's Day, and it's about the widow of Zarephath. A little bit of history on this. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Kings 17. But a little bit of history on this. So the widow of Zarephath was in the time when Elijah was the prophet. Elijah was the prophet under the reign of the evil king Ahab and the evil queen Jezebel. In fact, the Lord says that Ahab did more evil than any of those before him. That's a lot of evil considering who came before him. All right, so here's Elijah who gave a prophecy to Ahab and said, okay, Ahab, guess what? You're gonna have no drought. I mean, you're gonna have a drought and you're gonna have no rain until the, our God says that there's to be rain. And so Elijah, because he gave this prophecy, became a hunted man and he was sent by God's protection to a ravine called the Kareth Ravine. And there God provided a brook that was flowing with water for Elijah to drink. And he provided ravens yes, birds, ravens, that would go and deliver Elijah bread and meat. So Elijah is having all of his means taken care of. And then all of a sudden something changed in this process. And we're gonna pick up right now in 1 Kings 17, verse seven. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. But I'm going to say a little side note here, because I'm going to say a lot of side notes while I'm reading. Could God have allowed the brook to keep flowing? 
The God who gave ravens to Elijah to deliver the food to him, could he have allowed the brook to keep flowing? Of course. The brook dried because God was leading Elijah in a different direction and he needed him to go where he's about to go. All right, let's pick up again. Verse eight, then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. And so he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and he asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. I'm going to stop right there. I try to put myself in the widow's shoes, right? So she has a stranger that's entering in that she does not know that's coming from a foreign land. And this stranger is considered an enemy, He's from enemy territory, he's coming into her, and he has the audacity to not just ask for water, but to ask for food from a complete stranger, which side note, he shouldn't have even, due to societal rules, been talking to her. So here he is, and he's sitting there and asking for water and bread, and she retorts back and says, I am on my last meal, sir. I have one more meal, and I have enough to make for myself, and I have enough to make for my son, and that's it. And then he responds back and says, okay, do as you planned, but go ahead and give me the meal first. Do you think she might have been thinking, oh, who is this man? Like, who is this man that he is asking me this? Because clearly if she says she only has enough for two meals, there's not enough to give him a meal and then to give herself and her son. But let's move on from that and let's go to the next verse and see what Elijah says. Verse 14, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. So this is what God's saying to her. God's saying through Elijah, listen, I know you don't understand what's going on with your circumstances. I know they're really bad right now, but I'm gonna need you to trust me. I'm gonna need you to give me what you don't have enough of you give me that first, you give me the first fruits, you give me the faith, you give me the trust. And through that, I am making a promise to you to take care of you. You have a choice not to trust me. Go ahead and make that meal for yourself and your son and then die like you planned. Or to trust me in something that you may not understand, but I have full capability of taking care of you in. So let's see what the widow decided to do. Verse 15. She went away and did as Elijah had told her, a smart woman. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the women and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up. The jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Some of you today might be single moms taking care of kids in the exact same position of this widow. 
You may be starving for food and you don't know, especially with this crisis, how you're gonna get your child the next meal. Some of you may not be single moms, you may be family providers and you are starving for financial security. You don't know how you're gonna get the next paycheck in to pay for your mortgage. Some of you are just starving with loneliness and love. And this COVID crisis has made it so much more apparent on how lonely you really are. Some of you are starving for help. You just need anybody, anybody to just come in and help you because you are exhausted with what is going on around you. But whatever your situation is, I wanna make sure that you know straight up that our God, who has a capability of sending a prophet what was an estimated distance of 100 miles from Kareth to Sidon, to go and take a promise to a stranger and a widow because God could see her heart and God could see her need, that same God is alive today. That same God is seeing all of the problems that you bring to him. He's seeing your heartaches. He's seeing your starvations. And he has every capability, just as he does with the widow, of taking care of you. You need to trust that he can. There's an interesting concept that scientists are just now writing about. It's a comparison of PTSD, and PTSD, if you don't understand what that means, is post-traumatic stress disorder. Most of you have heard of it. It's when you endure a trauma, and through that trauma, you end up developing a stressful disorder. It's a real thing. I see it in the hospitals around me. War veterans see it a lot. I've experienced it myself in the last 10 years. But they were noticing scientists another thing that they found fascinating. And it was called post-traumatic growth. But this post-traumatic growth, it's a very interesting concept, and I laughed about it when I read it. It said that some people enduring a trauma become a better version of who, of who they were before the trauma. So in other words, had they not endured this specific trauma, they would not have become this person that is a much better version of who they were. The trauma itself actually caused the growth in the person. And the reason I laughed when I read this is because I love it when science catches up with God. Because God actually talked about this a few thousand years ago in Isaiah. And it's a concept we lovingly talk about called beauty from ashes. Our God, who's able to take a heap of ashes and a traumatic experience and something terrible that none of us can see any good in, he can take that heap of ashes and he can turn it into something beautiful. Because our God has the capability of doing that. He took nothing and made our world. But if our God has the capability of taking ashes and turning it into something beautiful, then our God most certainly has the capability of taking a trauma in somebody's life and turning it into something that's called growth. So I like to rename this. Post-traumatic growth is really post-trauma with God. Post-traumatic growth is really post-trauma with God, PTG, in a different way. Because I have learned that when we give our traumas and hand those over to God, that that is the ultimate of how our lives are supposed to look when we're one with the purpose of God and not the plans of our heart. So I'm gonna end today and I'm gonna show you a video of what Rebecca did with her trauma and the loss of her health. 
So after transplant, I was offered to make a wish, and they said, what do you want? You can go anywhere, do anything. And I asked them if I could start a pancreas center to help kids from all over the world so that they could come in and receive a type of treatment and that we could promote research and that hopefully one day have a cure for pancreatitis and it offers scholarships for families who can't pay to have their to fly in and take care of their child or who can't pay for all the medical expenses and it's called Rebecca's Wish and we've already helped so many people it, it just makes me smile every time I think about it if I could encourage you in some way, I'd like to tell you to keep walking. Everybody says to keep fighting, but if you walk, you can take it one day at a time and focus on all that's around you while you're walking. Um, don't let the labels define you. You are not a disabled person. You are a person with disabilities who may be hurting right now, but let it be a part of you. And don't forget that God always loves you no matter what. He is always good. So my daughter took her trauma and she laid that at the hands of God. And God gave her an unexpected miracle. He has created a charity now that has grown and raised over a million dollars in less than two years to be able to help endless amounts of children that had no help before. And these children had no help before, but now have help because of a child going through suffering. And that suffering was laid down and placed at the feet of God. Your God has every capability of doing the same with your greatest pain and turning that into purpose. Your God has the, every capability of taking your trauma and turning that into something magnificent. Your God has every capability of taking these ashes that you're sitting in and turning those into something exquisitely beautiful when we trust him as the widow did and hand that over to him. And that becomes your unexpected miracle. And I thank you, Lord, for giving us that. Dear Lord, Thank you for allowing me to be here and share this story with you because I know this was all part of your plan. You're the one who planned for me to be here on this particular day at this particular moment. Lord, I ask you to please pour down a peace that passes all understanding to the mothers out here. The mothers that are viewing this, the mothers that some feel very hopeless right now, Lord. And I ask you to provide them with supporters to help support them so that they can continue pouring into these children and loving them and raising them to know you. Lord, I thank you for being a God that not just has every capability, but loves us enough to want to work for the good of all who love you, who are called according to your purpose, dear Lord. Again, I thank you for blessing us with unexpected miracles because you do not forsake us in our time of need. You pour into us and love us more. We love you in Jesus' name we pray, amen.